0: Well, I can recall several times that it happened in my former career as a corporate cubicle monkey. There were times where a project had gone sideways. And worse yet, it went sideways because of our fault. And we were going to then be delayed, and of course the client was not going to be happy about that. And so the solution that management came up with was to lie to the client. And tell them that something else had gone wrong, something unforeseen had gone wrong, whatever, because we certainly don't want a dissatisfied client. And we definitely don't want them pulling projects from us. And so the order came down to lie to the client, except they knew that I wouldn't lie to the client. And so I would always kick it back up to my boss and say, okay, fine. You want to tell the client something that's not true, you're going to have to tell the client that something is not true. We've all been in similar situations. We're tempted to lie to the government about how much we earned last year on taxes. Maybe we have an insurance claim and we're tempted to inflate the loss. We're tempted to lie to friends to save ourselves from embarrassment or deny saying things that they said that we did or maybe others heard we did that were hurtful. We're tempted to lie in school to keep the grade, whatever we have to do to cheat, to fudge on that paper. The government lies to us, the news lies to us, politicians lie to us, culture lies to us, and yet, church, we are called to be truthful. How do we do that against our own temptations, but yet, of course, in a world that is based on lies itself? Exodus and God's law is going to tell us all about that this week. So if you're not there already, head over to Exodus 20. We are closing in, next week is our last week in the Ten Commandments uh, series, and then we'll jump over to the book of Romans, for those of you uh, looking forward to what's coming up next. And so, we wanted to set the foundation of the law, and then wanted to have the law and the gospel be made very, very clear. And so, we're going to spend the rest of the year in the book of Romans, so if you want to start reading that, reading ahead, getting ready for that. But last week, we looked at the Eighth Commandment, which was, you shall not steal, And we said that was a way of loving others, that God doesn't forbid us from owning private property, but we have to own it legally. And then we use those possessions for God's glory, for our enjoyment, and to help others. And we break that commandment when we take things that are not ours, when we steal things or people or time, because the reality is we don't own anything. God owns everything, and we are mere stewards and managers of what God has given us, including our very selves. We're called to love God with all of our lives and love others as, as much as we love our stuff. And we love others through stewardship, not stealing. This week, we look at the ninth commandment and another short commandment with profound implications for us. Let's look again at the simple commandment here, simple to say, but not simple to do. Verse 16 in Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. A few more words in Hebrew than the last couple weeks. It's five words in the Hebrew, as opposed to two. Do not anach or, or testify or answer falsely about your neighbor, particularly in a court of law or in any other kind of official capacity. And so, the first question is, who is your neighbor? Of course, in context of the law, it would be amongst the Israelite community, so anybody in the Israelite community would be your neighbor, but in a much larger context, it's any other human being on the face of the Earth is our neighbor. So anyone is our neighbor. One commentator put it this way, simply: "If asked about your neighbor, you will not answer in a lying witness. If there's someone who asks about your neighbor, especially in an official capacity, you do not answer as a lying witness. Again, in context, think about this. How important is the testimony of, of the eyewitness testimony of one neighbor to another, right? Nobody had ring cameras so they could see what's going on in their property at all times, right? Nobody had nobody walked around with these things, right? With video cameras, so we don't have that evidence. We don't have DNA testing, we don't have scientific evidence. And so literally life and death is in the power of someone who says something about someone else. Think about the weight of that. Imagine if someone was killed and the police start their investigation and one of the first places they're going to go is your neighbor and ask him all kinds of questions about who you are, what you're like, what kind of stuff, how many guns do you have, do you have a problem with your neighbor, all of that. And You better hope that your neighbor tells the truth. So, in the pursuit of justice, it is critical that the truth be told. but don't think for a second that of course, this is the only the only a courtroom of law is the only place where the truth matters. And as we've been doing we 're going to break this up into chunks. the first chunk explanation here, what is commanded and what is forbidden. Well, what is forbidden is pretty clear. We are forbidden from lying, and we 're forbidden from uh, about lying about anyone, at any time, in any place, for any reason. It would not be consistent for God to say, well, don't lie in a court of law about your neighbor. But then anywhere else, you can lie about anybody else. So we know that's not true. We know that God is forbidding lying everywhere. And so what is commanded, and you know the drill by now, we look at the rule of the opposites here. If what is, what is forbidden is lying... And the rule of opposites says what is commanded is telling the truth. So we're commanded to tell the truth at all times, about all things, to all people. And so I'll say the first point simply this way. We are commanded to tell the truth and forbidden from lying. Pretty simple stuff, right? Cookies on the bottom shelf here. The Bible is crystal clear on this from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Old Testament, we see it right here, carved in stone as part of the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Tell the truth. And the New Testament is no different. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, look at verse 15. It tells us this, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Skip down a little further. Verse 25 of Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Furthermore, Jesus himself tells us that when we lie, we are like our enemy, the devil. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 44, it says this Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Watch this. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we see, we know that God's character is bound up in God's law, right? So God's character is truth. So we tell the truth, but the opposite is what? Our enemy, Satan, his character is bound up in lies. And falsehood. And so we ask ourselves simply, whose native language do we want to align ourselves with? God in truth or our enemy, Satan in lies. Heidelberg Catechism helps us again. Question 112 says this: What does the Ninth Commandment require? That I never give false testimony about anyone. Twist no one's word. words, sorry, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. Very thorough, once again, in help from Heidelberg. The truth is that lying is a sin. See what it did there? Truth, lying. You'll get that later. It's basic. Like like last week, so many of us could tell stories of our childhood of how we stole dumb things and got caught like I did, right? We could probably all tell stories from our childhood, hopefully from our childhood, when we lied a really dumb, blatant lie and got caught immediately. Parents, you can testify that your kids, as cute as they are, are cute little liars. And worse yet, we never taught them to do that. Moms, how many of you? Dads? You had... Okay, kids, today we're going to learn how to lie, okay? What a lie is, is when something happens or something breaks and you say you didn't do that. But I really did do that. No, I know. But you say you didn't do that. That's a lie. Nobody had to teach them that, right? One theologian said, original sin. The one doctrine that we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, especially if you're a parent. You know that for sure. You spent no time at all telling them how to lie. You spent no time at all telling them how to take things that aren't theirs. All of that, how to worry about themselves, right? We said last week with stealing, the world works against us, feeding lies and falsehood. And so in our discussion of lying, I want us to look at how the world around us then might define truth Because as we're looking at what is lying and what is falsehood, we need to understand what truth is. And there's a couple different perspectives, a couple different worldviews, right? An atheistic worldview, a materialistic or naturalistic worldview denies God exists, so therefore there is no external objective source of truth in the first place. They would say that actual objective truth can exist because we know scientific facts, and so we're we're dealing about facts, and, and truth is kind of more... Morality, and we don't really deal with morality, we deal with scientific facts. Morality, much like deeply held religious beliefs, they have no business in the land of facts, except for the fact that Christianity is based on actual facts, eyewitness testimony, corroborated with external events like history. You say that there is no God, Right? How can then you believe in an external objective standard that then you have to adhere to, especially for one that this imaginary God invented? The other worldview that we can lump things into is selfism. And all selfism does is makes you the God. And then you, guess what, are the determiner of what truth is. Do we not hear this all over our culture all the time? Your truth. That's true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me. And don't you dare tell your truth to me, because that's your truth. But don't shove your truth down my throat. Just live your own truth, and don't ever violate the great sin of forcing someone else to believe your truth. Truth is relative. It's subjective, our culture would say. It depends. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, right? What if we have to lie to save someone's life? Some of you are probably so biblically savvy that you're already thinking, yeah, well, what about Rahab? She lied to protect the Israelites, right? What about World War II when people lied to the Nazis about hiding Jews to save them? What about the missionaries who smuggle Bibles into countries? Is that okay? Is God sanctioning lying? The so-called lie of necessity, as it's called throughout the church history. I just want to say this. We can never define the standard by the exception. And that goes true for everything. Even look at the abortion argument, right? People want to love, they want to cling to this little part, this 0. 001 point of all abortions that are either incest or rape or something like that. And they say, what about that? And I would like to say, okay, sure, fine, that's fine. Can we do away with the 99.99% of all the other abortions? But, but that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about you're not going to set the rule from the exception. And that, that is in play here as well. God is never going to condone a lie. God is never going to break his law and say it's okay to lie. But sometimes we have to look at situations, right? And when you're in this situation of life or death, you basically have to choose the one that's better. Is it better to lie and save someone's life if they're innocent? Pray to God that we have the wisdom to make that decision. When and if we are ever in that situation, but here's one that happens way more than that, right? Am I going to lie to save my reputation? That's going to happen way more than being in any situation where you might have to take a, make a lie of necessity. Am I going to lie to save face at work? Am I going to lie to save a friendship that I'm so concerned about what they think about me? Am I going to lie to save money or make money? In both anti-biblical worldviews of atheism and selfism, we end up in the same place. Lying is okay if you say it is. That's what the world would say. Lying is okay if you say it's a good enough reason or if it's a little white lie. We are forced into a corner at work, and it's them or us, and it's going to be them. We are failing a class in school, and so cheating is fine. Because why? We have to pass the test. Anything that jeopardizes you and your own personal flourishing... (laughs) Yeah, you have to do what you have to do. That's what the world will tell you. This is sin, church. And it's another way that we stand out from the culture. It is another way where we are counter-cultural. If we do what God has called us to do. We submit to him and we submit to him in faith. And so how do we do that? What does that look like in application? How do we obey this commandment? How do we violate this commandment in 2023? First, how do we violate this commandment? Well, again, we obviously violate this commandment with words. If you actually tell a lie, you are violating this commandment. You are sinning. But maybe I can give us a few categories of how we break this commandment in these. We violate this commandment by speaking incorrectly, by speaking incompletely, or failing to speak at all. We violate this commandment by speaking incorrectly, incompletely, or sometimes failing to speak at all. First, we can speak incorrectly, okay? In other words, flat out lying, right? We say something that's in true, untrue, and therefore incorrect. You actually did something and you did not. You say something happened the way it happened and it did not. We see this every day. Politicians, when they open their mouth, no sorry, when they speak, right, they're probably lying about something. Criminals lie when they're actually caught red-handed and they say they're innocent. People in sales presentations and business deals lie about how much the company can do, when, promising things that can't be delivered. Again, students lie when they plagiarize. Husbands and wives lie to each other about where they've been or what they're up to. We lie when we say how many cookies we had or how many times we went to the gym this week. Here's one. We lie to each other when somebody asks us how we're doing. And we say, great because we really don't want to talk about it. We lie when someone has bothered us and we don't go to the other person and tell them about it. So we lie when we speak things that are incorrect. We also lie when we speak uh, incompletely. And just to back up, we all say things that are incorrect, right? The problem is we got to own those things when we, when we speak incorrectly, right? When we know what we have spoken incorrectly, instead of letting it keep going and then become a lie, go back to that person and say, guess what? I spoke incorrectly. This is, this is what was really the truth. Or this is, this is what I found out, right? Don't try to keep covering it up, right? So we violate it by speaking incorrectly, but we also violate it by speaking incompletely. So maybe we tell the truth, but not all the truth. And how many times do we say, well, I, I told him this, but, which technically did happen, but there's a whole other part of the story, right, that we left out that would make that then a lie. Maybe you leave out some details as to not incriminate yourself. Maybe you shade some aspects. Maybe you exaggerate other aspects to make you look better in the story than you really were. As J.I. Packer said, a half-truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. A half-truth masquerading as a whole truth becomes a complete untruth. Gossip is a great example of this. So are slander and malicious speech. The other person isn't there to defend themselves. You're speaking incompletely about someone. You don't know the whole deal. They're not there. Author... Joachim Dalma writes, quoting Calvin, even if we see someone doing something wrong, there is still no basis for talking about it to a third party. There's a big difference, said Luther, between knowing about sin and talking about sin. We also violate this speaking, when we speak in completely, when we don't have the whole story. Maybe we think there's a problem between us and someone else, and we imagine this whole big issue has happened, but we don't have the whole story. We imagine all these terrible things that we want that to happen to the other person because we think there's some conflict with us, but yet we don't get the whole story and we don't know. They think they're mad at us, yet we never find out. Kevin DeYoung is helpful in his book. Something happens to us and we just assume she didn't talk to me because she's really mad at me. We develop elaborate hypotheses and speculations. And when we tell other people, we just pass it along as truth. Time out. Time out. Are you giving a true witness to your friend or your brother or your sister? Don't persecute them as guilty, right, with incomplete information. Again, even the talk that we we have, our own self-talk about how somebody may or may not have offended us. Find out the truth. Don't speak incompletely, whether it's to yourself or others. And so we violate this when we speak incorrectly, when we speak incompletely, but also when we fail to speak when it is necessary. There are times when your neighbor needs you to speak up, and maybe you don't. Maybe your neighbor needs defending, your friend needs defending, and you do not speak up. This is bearing a false witness by failing to speak. Sometimes our brother or sister is caught in sin, and we need to tell them that. But we're too scared to tell them that. If your neighbor is being accused of something, and we know the truth, and we don't speak up for the truth, it is sin. And it violates this commandment. Maybe we feel that we don't want to get involved. I don't want to stick my nose in someone else's business. But we're commanded to get involved if we know the truth. Somebody has to speak up for the truth. Again, gossip, slander, malicious talk are all examples of this and how this violates this. It is sin to sit by and idly listen to gossip. And it breaks this commandment. That's when we need to speak up. We've all been there. We've all been there when that conversation drifts into gossip, right? And then we're like, mm, you see the little yellow warning lights going off in your head like, I ah, somebody should say something, somebody should stop this. We fail to speak, we violate this commandment. Kevin DeYoung again points out this when we're in the presence of others and gossip begins, sometimes our silence in the face of gossip is a simple is a sinful rather typo, king of the typos. Is as sinful as gossip itself. We just listen and we take it in, when instead we need to be the, do the courageous thing and say, you know what? I don't think we have all the facts. We need to stop right here. That takes courage, right? Because gossip is good. We love to dish the tea. We want to find out about everything. And then somebody's got to say, hold on, I think this is gossip. But if we don't speak up, we violate this commandment. So that's how we violate this commandment today, but, but how do we obey it? And let me back up again and give us the reason why we would obey this commandment in the first place. And hopefully your hearts and your minds have already gone there because it reflects the character of our God. We obey this commandment by speaking truth because we serve the God of truth. We obey this commandment by speaking truth because we serve the God of truth, right? God is truth. He's the very definition of the word truth. We only know what is true and good and beautiful because we compare it to God himself. He is the definition of the word truth. Psalm 119, which I don't know if you've been noticing, we've been working our way through it this whole series. We're going to finish next week. Psalm 119 verse 160 says this, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endure forever. Jesus again speaking in the gospel of John famously says in John 17:17 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth your word is truth. We obey this. We speak the truth because we serve the God of truth, right? God's character again wrapped up in his law. Why does he care about the truth? Because he is the truth. Thomas Watson Puritan said, there's nothing more contrary to God than a lie. There's nothing more contrary to God than a lie. Imagine if God were lying to us. Imagine if God says, yes, all who come to me will be saved. And that's not true. Imagine if he said, whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, and that's not true. Imagine if he said, I've prepared a place for you that we just sung about, and that's not true. Imagine he said he loves us, and that's not true. Everything God says is true, church, and we have everything that God says here in his words. So we have to remember that. And so for us as Christians, we need to be the most truthful employees The most honest students, the most reliable neighbors or spouses or friends, people should expect us to tell the truth because we're Christians, because we follow the God of truth. And I want to give us a few categories again of maybe how we can obey this command and and speak it, speak it in truth. We We speak the truth in words, in commitments, and intentions. This part's not in your outline. This is a bonus part. We speak truth in words, commitments, and intentions. First and most obviously, we speak truth in our words, right? We speak the truth even when it hurts, even when we know we should speak up and we do speak up and it's awkward, even when we have to confront someone about a sin and it's awkward and we do in love, even when it might cost us, maybe even financially, Last week in care group, we were talking about stealing, of course, and the the last commandment. And one of our, our people told a story of how he went to buy auto parts. And he bought two of a particular kind of auto part. Walked out, looked at the receipt, and only charged for one. It was an expensive part. So he did the Christian thing. He tore up the receipt and drove away. No. He went back inside and said, hey, you charged me for just one. And the guy, like, fought him on it. He's like, no, I charge you for two. And he's like, no, nah, you didn't. And then he did. He had to pay. Telling the truth cost him money. Right? It was his mistake. But he's a Christian, so he did it. And he told the truth. We, we speak truth even when it hurts. Right? Again, if someone, a friend, a brother, a si- or sister is wandering off the path into sin, do we love them enough to go get them and put their arm around them? and say, what are you doing? Are you okay? What what you're doing, help me understand what you're doing because the Bible says this and it kind of looks like you're doing this. And we love them enough to speak truth into their lives. What about speaking the truth with our words in a society that's losing its touch with reality? No, I'm not gonna use your preferred pronouns. I'm sorry, I can't, it's not true. I, I can't lie and say you're a female when you're not. I can't look the other way that you, when you say you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I've got to say something. We have to speak truth with our words in a society that is losing touch with reality. No, I can't attend a gay wedding and be a witness that condones that no, I can't keep quiet when you're questioning your sexuality or your morality or your reliability of the Bible or who you are, anything. I, I've got I can't be quiet. I've got to speak words of truth into that situation because I serve the God of truth and I need to speak words of truth and I love you. Speaking the truth is one of the most loving things that we can do. If someone was caught in the path of an oncoming train, you're going to yell at them and push them out of the way. I know it's an extreme example, but it's the same principle. We speak the truth because it's the most loving thing that we can do. We speak the truth with words, but we also speak the truth with our commitments. And if we commit to doing something, we need to do it. And we need to do it with all of our hearts. Whatever project at work, whatever school assignment, whatever activity we signed up for, Whatever ministry we're doing, when we're on the schedule to serve in Kingdom Kids or worship team, we actually need to show up and serve in Kingdom Kids and worship team because we said we were going to do that, even if we don't know that we said we're going to do that. We can check the schedule and we can see our name there. What if we promise to help our neighbor, a brother or sister in Christ? What if we say we're going to visit them? Here's one. What if we say we're going to pray for somebody? Do we mean what we said? Are we actually gonna pray for them? We always say it's better to stop and pray for somebody right there. That does so much more. And if you can't do that, then make yourself a note and honestly do pray for them and follow up. And that person will be encouraged by that. Remember, he said he was gonna pray for me, and he did. And he's asking me how it's going. Right? Our commitments. We speak truth, we proactively honor our commitments. We seek to be informed about what we're supposed to be doing and our responsibilities and honor them. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. So, third, we speak truth with our intentions. To quote one of our elders, we always need to put the best construct on something. Are we actually looking for the good outcome in a situation? Or are we looking for a negative outcome in the situation? We always need to put the best construct on the situation. Are we looking for the good of our neighbor? Are we looking to build them up or tear them down? Do we want to see people blessed and not cursed? Do we want to see them vindicated and not prosecuted? Do we want to see them reconciled and not ostracized? Even when we have those hard conversations with others, right? And it doesn't go well. Maybe, maybe we do see sin in someone's life and maybe we speak up to them and maybe they reject us for it. Do we still honor them with truthful, good intentions? Yes, I, I, I wanted the best for you. That's why I spoke up. And I still want the best for you even though you're rejecting me. So I don't want you condemned. I want you forgiven. I want you reconciled. Are, are, we, are we looking to speak the truth in our intentions? What about our own intentions, with our own life and worldview? Sometimes we can get duped into basing our whole lives on a lie. You know how this goes. Enough money will bring happiness. The right house in the right city, the right spouse, that will bring happiness. Sexual promiscuity or drugs or substances or whatever else, that's the lie that I will buy that will bring happiness. We're basing our lives on a lie, the lie of social media. Do we scroll through social media and look at Facebook and, and Instagram and say that I need to look a certain way with the right clothes and the right weight and have the house the right way and the kids the right kind of dress in order to be happy? Am I, am I even understanding that, that those things are, are preaching to me, are discipling me? Or do I snap out of it and say, no, that, this is a lie? I need to be about my intentions here. Church, one of the biggest liars besides Satan is us, specifically our own hearts. Our own hearts lie to us all the time. That saying, just go with your heart, is a terrible saying. Don't go with your heart. Because Jeremiah seventeen nine says, our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We've got to realize that our own hearts might be conspiring against us to lie to us. We've got to calibrate our hearts with the truth, right? Our heart says, well, I want this. Okay, well, <laughs> here's what God says about this. Therefore, who's lying? God or our hearts? Our hearts, right? Even, even when we're believers, right, we still have indwelling sin. We still have remaining sin in our hearts, and that remaining sin is waging a war, Galatians tells us, to try and take over the Spirit. But they can't. It's, it's never going to happen, right? That's why we have to be vigilant in keeping in step with the Spirit. And not just listening to it. Not just going with our gut. Not just doing what we, here we go, feel like it. Because our feelings could be lying to us. We speak truth with our intentions, and that includes monitoring our heart as well. Far from spreading false witness about our neighbors, we need to do all that we can to be promoting their good. John Calvin wrote, hence the legitimate observance of this precept, of this commandment, consists in employing the tongue in the maintenance of truth so as to promote both the good name and the prosperity of our neighbor right? Once again, we're not just interested in in checking the box here. I've not lied about my neighbor. Great job, right? But the flip side, are you actively promoting their good? Are you out for their blessing? Do you want to see them flourish? Are you doing all that you can to speak truth and goodness into their lives? Are you doing all that you can to model truth and goodness so as to contribute to that? Because we're out for the good of others. And once again, we're out to love others. And as a commandment that's on the second part of the table, right, of the Ten Commandments, we are out to be shown in this commandment how we love others. And once again, it comes down to obeying this commandment as the expression of how to love others. And I'll say the big idea this way. We love others by living lives of truth. We love others by living lives of truth. Not just skating that line between what might be true and what, not, what, what we could get away with or maybe not. No, we, we want our whole lives to be based on truth, and that is a way that we love others. This commandment calls us to use the truth as a way to love our neighbors. And once again, we're surrounded by a culture of lies all around us, but also within us, our own hearts. We're commanded to tell the truth, we're forbidden from lying, and when we lie, we speak, we lie when we speak incorrectly or incompletely, or if we fail to speak up when we need to. We, church, above all people, should be people of truth, because God is truth, and he is our God. People should look at us and say, that's a little bit of what God looks like. That's a little bit of what Jesus looks like. Jesus is truth, and yet we all fail in this. I mean, we can all look back in our lives and recall where we have lied, where we have shaded the truth, where we have failed to speak up, maybe where we needed to speak up, where we've given into gossip or slander or untruthful speech, where we've believed the lies of our progressive culture, or Satan himself, or even our own hearts. and All of that, once again, where does that put us? Where does that conviction put us? It puts us at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. It has to. Because we all feel that conviction because we've all broken the law. And because we know that we've all broken the law, we're convicted. What do we do with that? We don't wallow in our conviction. We don't stay there. God's given us Jesus Christ. And so we bring that conviction. We understand, yes, God, I have sinned. I have fallen short of all of this. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven from this sin We realize that anything other than the truth of God and his perfect, loving, and forgiving nature, we fight those those voices that tell us that God doesn't love us, that God isn't good, that you are not saved, maybe, that you are not a good Christian, that you're not a good person. Whatever that lie says, we remember in Jesus Christ, that's not true. We remember what Jesus has done for us. We remember not that being Christian is about checking the box, but getting a new identity, And we're reminded that we walk in that new identity. We're reminded of who we are. Our culture, our enemy, ourselves lie to us, and God speaks the truth. And we need to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we need to love others by living lives of truth. Let's pray that we can walk in this. Such a practical thing. Let's pray that we can see all of the ways that we need to maybe change And let's pray that God is glorified as we love others by living lives of truth. Father, we thank you for your grace in this, Lord. For all of us, at one point, we're separated from you. As sinners, as we come into this world, separated from you, Lord, we know that we believe the lie, the original lie told in the Garden of Eden, that you don't need God, that you can be your own God, that you can know right from wrong, and you can walk in your own truth. And Lord, that is all around us, Father. Help us to live lives of truth. Help us to be, Lord, that, that, that balance of convicted but also encouraged. Help us to walk in the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And Father, if there are those here that do not understand that, that have not made that profession of faith, that have not come into the experience of repenting of their sin, In trusting in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would compel them to do that. And I pray that they would understand what awaits them in living a life that is blessed and forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray it all in his name. Amen.